Richard's Story, spoken by Richard Huang. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, oh, this sounds different when I'm not singing. This is terrifying. All right, hi, my name is Rich. Sometimes I sing up here. Um, Pastor Peter sometimes asked me to give a testimony because our family, my wife's right there, Kate. She didn't want me to point her out, but there she is. Uh, we just made a huge transition. I have been a patent attorney for 15 years, and I just quit my job to go to seminary. And uh, yeah, in view of our two young children and my mortgage, it seems like <laughs> the worst possible decision I could have made, right? Uh, so I know not all of you know me, so um, a little background, I was not raised Christian. Uh, my dad was Zen Buddhist, and my mom is just kind of Chinese superstitious. And, uh, and my dad, he, he despised Christianity, no joke. So we actually have a scrapbook where he recorded all these instances where he and I made fun of Christianity together. Um, so that's, that's where I started. And that's how I stayed up until I was about 30 years old. I was in my law office. It was a summer Wednesday afternoon. And for lack of a better way to express it, I was pulled into myself. And I can still see it. I had this vision. And in the vision, I was like suspended miles up in the sky looking down at the ground. And in the ground, it was like this vast, desiccated desert plain. And below me was this giant maw, like a perfect circle, um, miles wide. And I just knew that at the bottom of that hole was darkness and fire. So I had a vision of hell, I'm pretty sure. And I knew intrinsically that I deserved to be thrown in. Um, but when I considered myself, I was just suspended in the air, like floating on the breeze or on the currents of the wind. And without any words, I just knew intrinsically that it was the grace and the love of God keeping me from falling into hell. Um, so when I came out of that vision, my face was like a mess. I was, I was crying through the whole thing. There were tears all over my desk, and I was like, oh, shoot, I guess I'm Christian now. And I could, I was very disappointed, right? And I think C.S. Lewis had the same conversion. He was disappointed, right? He was disappointed. Uh, so that very Sunday, I went to the only church I'd ever heard of because I had a friend who used to go here. His name was David Eng Wong, if any remember him. And I walked in these doors, and this is the only church I've ever known, Metro Community Church. Um, so that's where I started. I wasn't exactly a good Christian. Uh, I disagreed with pretty much 95% of Christian ethics. Uh, and I hated, oh, this is big, really ironic. I hated worship. I thought worship was the most <laughs> hokey, cringy, and embarrassing thing ever. I was sitting right there, and my future best friend, he was two rows behind me, like crying his eyes out. While the guy up here, I think it was Craig, he was like, we're covered by the blood, we're covered. And I was like, am I in a cult? Like, what, is, what are they saying, right? It was crazy. Um, so it was a long journey from there to here. And I can only give you the highlights. I'm going to try to get through this quickly. Um, the first milestone, two years later, I was baptized, which was very difficult because I thought baptism was a hokey, stupid, archaic religious ritual that had no significance. Right? That's, that's the kind of person I was. Um, but then one day I, was, I, was, I just realized, wait, Jesus himself got baptized. If there's one person in all of history who didn't need to get baptized, it was probably Jesus, right? So I didn't want to go to heaven. He'd be like, hey, bro, why didn't you get baptized, man? And I'll be like, uh, you know, what am I going to say, right? So I forced myself to get baptized. And the week leading up to my baptism, 
Uh, anytime I heard anything about the faith, I would just break down in tears up to seven times a day, wherever I was. And that is the first time I realized, oh my gosh, it's not just conversion and go to church. It's like God will move in you. He will stir in you as you journey. Um, the next thing I learned, or next thing that happened, I, I, I joined the worship team, and it was a terrible experience. I failed the audition twice. Um, then, you know, I got thrown up here, but, you know, I didn't grow up Christian, so I didn't know any of these songs. So I had to learn, we did six songs back then, so I had to learn six songs each week, plus I was a terrible guitar player, so I had to learn the chords for six songs each week. It was, like, so stressful. And I was an attorney, a full-time attorney the whole time. So, uh, but, you know, it just seemed like God wanted me up here, so I just kept, I kept pushing and, uh, and suffering. <laughs> it's a lot of suffering. And that paid off. One year later, one year into it, again, I was sitting at my desk. I was listening to one of the songs for Sunday, and it was actually I Love Your Presence by Vineyard, which was covered by Bethel. And suddenly I felt like, these, like a swoon in my heart, in my body, and like this warmth. And I, I started crying again. I was like, what is happening to me? I thought I was going crazy. Later on, people were like, that's the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh, okay. It's the Holy Spirit, right? So that's when I learned the Holy Spirit can actually move in us. He can touch us. He can touch our hearts. Um, so the next milestone was unemployment. It was very defeating. Uh, so I had been laid off a thousand times in my 20s. So I went to law school. I did the bar exam. I did New York, New Jersey. Got a great job by the skin of my teeth. And then six years later, I was unemployed again. So I was, I was like totally defeated. But that year ended up being one of the best years of my life by far. Uh, that year... I got into scripture, and I read scripture cover to cover for the first time. Got into all these great authors, uh, A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, Oswald Chambers. But my favorite, which is ironic, is uh, C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preacher. You guys know him? All right, Eric knows him. Someone over there knows him. All right. Um, I was experiencing God like crazy. I went on Zamele. If you guys haven't went on Zamele, you got to go on Zamele, for real. Um, but most miraculously, I met my future wife while I was about 32 unemployed, and living at home with my mom. <laughs> she was like this very established, wonderful woman, uh, a nurse, and uh, I, I just don't think that happens in Bergen County, right? right? It was truly God's provision, and I experienced this provision another way. I was down to my last $500 at the end of that year. I depleted all my savings, and I'd given up on finding a job, and just as it seemed like my bank account would run empty, a job came through. It landed in my lap. I didn't even apply for it. It came after me. And I was like, what? Like, oh, that's when I learned. God can actually provide. Like, yeah. Anyone got that testimony? Amen. Amen. Um, so towards the end of that crazy year, I came up here for prayer. We used to do prayer up here in front. It was terrible because it was so loud you couldn't hear anything. <laughs> you remember, right? There was an intercessor here at the time named Arroya. And uh, I went up to her for prayer. And she just said, God, uh, she said, Rich, God is saying... Uh, You've experienced his grace and favor and, and blessing, but he's saying you haven't learned to pick up your cross. And I was like, oh, shoot. So I had read that in scripture, but I had no idea what carry your cross really meant. So that set me wrestling. And it set me wrestling with worship, too. Uh, there was actually a song, Draw Me Close. You guys all know that song, right? And there's that line, I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. Um, I was thinking about that line, and I was like, I don't know anyone who has laid everything down, like family, possessions, titles, reputation, life, lay it all down once, let alone twice that they could say, I would lay it all down again. 
So I was really wrestling with that line. And I was like, God, you, you got to show me someone who's actually done this. Because um, if, I, if I couldn't see anyone who had done that in 2,000 years of faith, and I was like, well, this just isn't the true religion then. That's where I was. So he took me, and he did lead me by the hand, and I did find someone. It wasn't who I expected. It was Mother Teresa. She had laid it all down to go from Albania to India as a nun, and then as a nun, she became a, uh, a teacher of rich Indian girls. So it was a very cushy nun job, as nun jobs go. And from there, she got the call to go out with like nothing in her pocket and just pick up someone dying on the street and take care of them. So she had laid it all down twice. Um, she never saw her mother again, by the way. And uh, so from Mother Teresa, I started reading more. I just followed that trail. I, took, I read her namesake, St. Therese of Lisieux. I read her namesake, St. Teresa of Avila. I read her companion, St. John of the Cross. And uh, these people started mentoring my faith, um, not to make me Catholic, but they just started, sh they, they started showing me things that, you know, you can't necessarily get that granularity of spiritual teaching just from sermons and devotionals. Um, and then this is when the calling began to assert itself. I was in the middle of reading a mystic named St. Maria Faustina. It was again in my office. Everything happens in my office. Uh, <laughs> and I heard these distinct words, speak to a priest. And I was like, why? Well, I, I, I'm not becoming Catholic, so that was probably just my imagination, right? So I just ignored it, which was the, mer the first major mistake I made in Christian life, because when God tells you to do something, even if it makes no sense, you have to do it. And if you don't do it, there are consequences. So all that intimacy that I was experiencing, um, I had like a grace period of about a year or two, but Little by little, it just fell off a cliff. And I went into this seven-year period of spiritual dryness. If you don't know what dryness is, it's just like the complete cessation of all the tears, all the swoons, the warmth, right? And you just kind of become like a normal person again, I guess. Um, but I was still growing in other ways. You know, Kate and I got married, and I had to learn how to worship doing the dishes and how to worship cleaning the toilet. And I realized from the saints that cleaning the toilet is probably a much higher form of worship and all the flashy stuff that goes on here, right? Because it's humble, it's humble, it's hidden. There's no ego, right? It's completely pure. Um, so if you want to find the holiest person in your household, ask who cleans the toilets. Um, uh, what else happened? I was still, I was growing in worship. So once I got comfortable on acoustic, I got bumped to electric and I had to go through that like terrible growth process all over again. And when I finally got okay with that, they put me on support singing and actually, I asked someone for help with learning how to sing harmony, Hankil, and he told me it's always a third, but it's not always a third. Sometimes it's a fourth off the melody. So I spent six months singing harmony wrong, trying to, like, I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. Thank you, Han. <laughs> uh, and at the end of that seven-year period, my dad, he got saved. And he actually got saved through my singing should I do this testimony? I wasn't going to do it. Do it? All right. So he almost died. He had a, he had a long lingering disease. He almost died. So I flew to Taiwan to be with him. And uh, he, he came out of the hospital. He was okay. And I was just helping around and around his house. And I actually had a premonition before I left that this would be the trip that he'd get saved on. Um, but I wasn't seeing it happening. We had argued about faith and you know, spirituality for like 10 years. And he would never accept Christianity. He hated it. So I was just praying for him, you know, whatever. One day I was just doing chores around his house, like humming like praise tunes to myself like I always do. I think it was do it again. And I looked over at him, and he was doing this in his wheelchair. 
And I was like, yo, that, wait, that, that doesn't make sense, but I'm just going to keep doing it. So I sang to him for three days, and on the fourth day, he told me in the morning, I've decided to accept Christ. Yeah. For, I, to this day, I don't know why he accepted Jesus, because he lost his power to speak because of that disease. He could never explain it, and I baptized him the next day. Um, so if any of you have been contending for your loved ones, keep contending and be faithful to your vocation because you don't know how God is going to use that to save someone else. Like, I could have quit worship like a thousand times. I hated it. But what would have happened if I didn't keep going? I don't know. So then the pandemic hit. And like many of you, uh, we struggled. I struggled at home, in the marriage. I struggled at work. I struggled at church. And uh, I was at my wit's end. So that voice that had been percolating, speak to a priest, speak to a priest, I could never get rid of it. So I, I was so annoyed with everything. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to speak to a priest. So I, I asked my Catholic friend, like, yo, bro, can you hook me up with your priest? And he's like, all right. He thought it was weird. And in, I, I spoke to the priest. He was a priest in California. And we had a phone call. And he just listened to my story. I don't remember anything he said except this. He just told me very flatly, you are suppressing a higher calling by faithfulness to your present calling. And that stung me. Yes, oof. That stung me so hard. Um, and I think I had an idea of what it was already because uh, I started a NIAC seminary application that year, like 2020, but I never finished it. And I was like, you know what? That's not it. So I focused on worship instead. So all these years on worship, I actually felt like a total imposter. Like, oh, I'm not called to this. This is just all a dumb accident. I'm not gifting. Like, I shouldn't be standing next to Catrice, right? And glory, like, what am I doing here? Uh, so I was 99% about to quit worship team. And uh, I actually called Catrice one day, and I was wavering between just telling her the story or just quitting outright. And I ended up sharing with her what was going on. And then unexpectedly, at least for me, she affirmed me, and then I talked to Tim. You guys remember Tim, the worship director at the time? And he was like the locus of all my insecurities because he is like the worship leader I will never be, right? Like that was, that was what, you know, he's like, Tim is just awesome, right? So I thought he was going to say like, yeah, this thing isn't for you, right? But no, he, was, he affirmed me too. So I was like, oh, shoot, I thought they were going to let me quit. Um, so, and with the help of the Wednesday crew, especially. So I'd been leading Wednesday at the well, and we had formed like a little, yeah. There was like a really tight little community there. Um, and I'll just name them. Mama Moore, Ginny. Is she here? She's not here. All right. Hejin, she's no longer here. Ray, Mike Hong, Andrea, Pauline. They affirmed me too. And I was like, all right. So I'm going to go all in instead of living in my doubts. Uh, so I actually pressed into worship. I got a singing instructor who's, this is another testament, I won't go into it, but she is a professor of singing at Anderson University in South Carolina. And she, like, has raised up some famous worship leaders and actually Broadway singers. So I'm like, I don't know how I got her because, you know, there's all these people and then there's me. Um, so worship stabilized and it began to expand, especially at Wednesday, but little by little, a little more on Sunday. And I was like, oh, cool, I made it. You know, I'm not suppressing my calling anymore. Thanks, God. Now you can just leave me alone, right? Nope. Uh, my dad, one day we were talking before he passed, uh, he said uh, when I was growing up, this is the first inkling of 
the first reawakening of that vocation. He said, when I was growing up, he was always trying to figure out what I was called to be. He never imagined it would be pastor. And I kind of brushed it off at the time, but now that he's gone, uh, the words have a lot of weight. Um, and then Wednesday, the Wednesday crew started saying little things, like when my worship got more free at Wednesday, Mama Moore, and you always pay attention when Mama Moore speaks, right? Because she's just the weight of experience and holiness there. She said, you should be doing more. You know, when God expands, he elevates, and, you know, she has particular ways of expressing it. I can't, I'm not even going to try to <laughs> duplicate it because I'm going to mess it up. And then Ginny, she started calling me Pastor Rich. Like, I don't know if it was a joke or what, but now I had to pay attention um, because it was like a chorus of people starting to say this. And eventually, the whole worship team found out, and it became a running gag there that I would quit my job and go to seminary, even though I was not <laughs> okay with that at all. And eventually, all the pastors at Metro, pretty much all of them, all of them, right? Every, they, were all, they were all on board. They were all speaking into it. Pastor Peter, Pastor Doug, especially. We chatted a lot. Um, Pastor David and Betty. Pastor Kevin and Linda, they spoke into it. Pastor Clay and Pastor Shirley. Um, but I still wasn't convinced because I'm very stubborn. I'm not bold. I'm very timid <laughs> and cowardly, actually, in spiritual things. So God kind of elevated it. He elevated the, uh, his, uh, his calling, his intensity. Um, for three months, it was a crazy three months, um, every sermon, every devotional, every song, wherever I went, it was all speaking to this one thing. It was like faith over fear. You got to make the leap. Uh, you got to like step out in boldness. And I couldn't get away from this theme. It was actually very annoying. I actually asked Pastor Peter like, yo, are you guys like preaching about me on purpose? And he's like, no, no, Richie, right? I'm still not convinced <laughs> to say that they weren't. Um, and he kept surrounding me with people who had made the leaps. I can't go through all of them, but there were two in particular that really stuck out. One was my, one of my oldest best friends, Jeff Jones, who streams from Philadelphia, that region. And uh, this is a, I'm going to try to truncate this story. He quit his job to uh, just homeschool his kids. And little by little, over the course of two years, he got hooked up with all these Japanese motorsports celebrities. Now, if you guys don't know me, I used to be really into cars in my 20s. I had like this modified 240SX. Um, I was trying to drift, but I mostly just crashed it all the time. Uh, <laughs> just no talent. But uh, my idol in my 20s was this guy named Keiichi Tsuchiya, who is the drift king, like the real drift king. He's like 60 now. But um, so Jeff ended up taking a trip out to Japan with a cinematographer, and he interviewed all these motorsports celebrities for a film he's making. I don't, like, I don't know what happened. And he interviewed Keiichi Tsuchiya, and he got Keiichi Tsuchiya to sign these gloves, racing gloves, and he gave them to me when, I, when he got back. So I have these gloves from Keiichi Tsuchiya in my, in my man cave, and like every time I look at them, it's God's like saying, Rich, anything is possible if you just make the leap. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And the other one was my friend Young. Some of you remember him. He used to lead worship here. He was stuck here for a while, and God called him out to IHOP, which is a big, charismatic, 24-7 worship ministry in, you know it, in Missouri. They did, you know, you are worthy of it all. They wrote that song. Um, and when he was leaving, it was a very intense three months where people were just affirming him on this out of nowhere. And people were just giving him money. Like, he wasn't even asking for support, and people would just give him money. Like, I'm going to support you $200 a month. So within three months, he was gone. Uh, and during that transition, he kept seeing the numbers 11, 11 everywhere, 
which he took as a reference to Deuteronomy 11 11. That's, uh, you know, the Israelites, they're going to cross the Jordan and take control of the promised land, right? And I was like, you know, I'm not as charismatic as him. So I was like, all right, young, that's cool. Whatever, if that blesses you, <laughs> you know, sure, right? But then in my three months, guess what happened to me? I started seeing 11 11 everywhere. And I was like, wait, like, for real? Like, I couldn't, I actually have like a gallery on my phone that's just screenshots of 11 11. Um, so with the weight of all of this, all the pastors, the whole worship team, my wife, like all these holy elders and, you know, holy spiritual mothers and aunties, um, eventually it dawned on me, like, if I don't step out and try, it would be a grievous sin, right? Like Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, if we don't follow our callings. And as Jesus says to them who have received much, and I felt like I got so much um, to them who have received much, much more will be demanded. Um, so it got really real. So I spoke to Kate. We spoke to Pastor Peter. And, you know, everyone was, my wife was in agreement. Like, that is another miracle right there. <laughs> like, this does not happen in Bergen County. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I applied to two schools. I got into both. And then I, I picked uh, Fuller. So I'm going to Fuller online. Yeah. It's Pastor Peter's uh, alma mater. Um, so our monthly budget is a complete disaster. I'm terrified about online learning because school was not like this in 2008 when I graduated law school. It's a long time ago. Um, but above it all, I have like this bizarre, like I, you've heard this so many times that it's almost cliche, but I've had this bizarre degree of peace, like a peace I have not had in probably, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah, like I'm totally cool with the budgets being a disaster. <laughs> um, amen. So that is my testimony. If, I, if you guys have one takeaway, um, I'd ask you guys to press in, to pray, to follow your callings, to suffer, to struggle, and to grow, because I believe you will see amazing things. Thank you. This has been a, a long journey. And, you know, Rich used to pick me up. We used to work out together. And when we started working out together in Paramus, he would pick me up and I would hear the music from my house. It was dark Japanese goth music. No, rock I, music not goth. Oh, it was rock music? Oh, it sounded like goth. Anyway, but, but uh, I go in there, I'm like, oh gosh, okay. So we'd work out. And then when he started getting really serious about Jesus, it just completely transformed, literally to like Kim Walker all the time. And so I started getting into Kim Walker because of him. But his transformation has been really great and just to kind of see it. And I'm really excited. And many of you, if you follow him on social media, this guy is already like a scholar. You know, it's just him going to seminary, just a real natural progression, but a great step in what God is going to do in his life and Kim to get, uh, and Kate, I'm sorry, Kim, Kim and Kate together. Very excited about where God's going to lead them. We got together a couple of weeks ago just to kind of talk through some stuff, but it's really exciting. So we're going to pray for him if that's cool. All right. Can we just bow our heads and pray, lean your hands forward and let's pray for him and Kate. Actually, Kate, do you mind coming up here? I'm sorry. I know you hate doing this. I know you hate doing this, Kate. Yeah. 
And she has been a great supporter of him doing this. And it's been really great to see. And I always say, if your spouse is not into it, God's not speaking. Your spouse has to agree when God's calling you to make a shift like this because they're one, right? And so she's been one of his biggest supporters, which is kind of crazy. And in his words, that doesn't happen in Bergen County, right? It doesn't happen in Bergen County. So let's pray, let's pray for these two. God, it's just so amazing that uh, what you're doing in Rich and Kate's life, thank you that we get to be a part of this as a church and as a community. And I can just sense the joy in this room, just seeing somebody living out the calling that you've placed on their life. I sense it's just thick. It's palpable right now. And so, God, I just pray for Rich and I pray for Kate, for their beautiful two boys. God, that you would just guide them. And God, I just pray for courage and faith, Lord. And God, as, as, as Rich is doing this with his, with his wife, Kate, as he's trusting you, taking these leaps of faith, God, I know you're preparing him to take greater steps of faith in the future. And God, I don't know where he's going to end up. But I know, God, you're going to use both of them to lead many into the kingdom of God. And God, you've given this man a mind, a mind, I believe, that can, that can help others and other Christians to understand the depths of who you are. So bless him, bless Kate, anoint them. And I pray that you would use them in a powerful way, but also God, that always, always, that everything they do, the fuel for their ministry would always come from their marriage. So bless them, truly bless them. And I pray for everyone here, God, that you would just continue to realize, that everyone would know, God, that, you're, that your hand is upon each and every one of our lives. And you don't call everyone to quit their jobs and go to seminary but you do invite every single one of us to be a part of the action of transforming this world for your kingdom. And so may we take all of that seriously. And so we thank you so much for Rich, his testimony, and for Kate, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for these two. Yeah.